Well, as they're being dismissed, let me encourage you to grab your Bible, open it up to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. If you're not familiar with your Bible, you know, the Gospel of John is the last of the four Gospels in the New Testament. We certainly invite you, if you don't have a Bible with you, to use one of our pew Bibles. You should find them underneath the seat right in front of you. And uh, you'll find our text today on page 917. 917. Now, I realize that some of you are stepping into this conversation that we've had going on for weeks about the Scriptures. Others of you have been in and out of the conversation as we've been through these six weeks together. So let me just do just a bit of review, kind of, which really kind of sets the tone for what we're going to be doing this morning. You know, part of what we've learned is that the Scripture really is a supernatural book. It has a divine origin. This isn't just the best writing that man has ever done, but it is God's Word for us. And out of that, it has an incredible role in our lives. It not only shows us what faith is, shows us our need for salvation, but it also shows us how to grow in our faith, how to relate to God. It shows us what we're supposed to do with our lives, what our lives are supposed to be like. It shows us how to live our lives with divine wisdom and purpose. And it has a role in everything in our lives. So with that, I've made an assumption. My assumption is that none of us are stupid enough to say, I know this is a divine book. I know it's the book that can change my life, but I don't really care if I ever learn how to figure out what it means. I don't think any of us here are that stupid. That we, we, we know that we have in our hands a treasure, but we never want to learn how to use a shovel to be able to get at the treasure that's within it. And so today we're going to be talking along the same lines of what we started last week, which is how is it that we really get to a point where we understand the Bible? And many of us have just kind of defaulted. So well, that's the preacher's job. It's my Sunday school teacher's job. It's my life group leader's job. I'll let somebody else do that for me. And, and, and I got to tell you, that's not wise. I'm grateful God has teachers in the church. They've been a blessing to me over the years. But you don't want to leave what this can do for your lives in the hands of anybody else but your own. And you have a responsibility, actually, and a privilege to be able to stand before God and figure out the Word. So we started this conversation, how do I understand what the Bible means? And last week what we really did is we looked at how to study the Bible. And we, we understood that we need to pepper the Bible with questions. And essentially those come into four categories. We start with the question of observation, which is what does the Bible say? Not trying to interpret it, just what is it saying? And try to just be able to express that in our own words. This is what the Bible is saying. Then we move on to the challenge of interpreting what, we've, what the Bible is saying. This is trying to answer the question of what does it mean? Okay. Now, that, that, can, be, that can be difficult. That's what we're going to talk about today, is how to figure out what the Bible means. After we've dealt with interpretation, we also contextualize it. Well, what else does the Bible say about that? So we, we connect it with other teachings about the same subject in the Scriptures. And then lastly, because we don't want to be foolish only hearing the Word, but we actually want to be doers of the Word, we make application. What should I do about this truth in my life? What I've learned that the Bible is saying and what it means, now what should it mean to my life and what action am I going to take upon it? Those are kind of the steps of Bible study. But you guys are smart enough and I'm smart enough to know that the real challenge in the midst of all that is figuring out that second step of interpretation. What does it mean? What does the Scripture mean? And so we, I think there, there are four principles. These are not new with me. These have been floating around for a long time. You could add some other pieces to this. But, but these four principles are at the heart and soul of you and I being able to pick up this wonderful 
divine treasure and be able to apply it and understand it for our own lives. And it starts, first of all, this first principle of interpreting the Scriptures or knowing what it actually means starts with the idea of determining what did, the, what did this teaching mean to them then. Now, that's putting it in historical context, if you will. Let me, let me tell you something. The Bible has hundreds of applications, but it really only has one meaning, okay? And that meaning is eternal. It, it may have different applications to us today than it did in the first century, but the truth that God's trying to convey was the same then as it is now. And, and we can't have the Bible saying things to us now that it didn't say to them then. And so to get at the heart and soul of what the Bible means, we need to figure out what did it mean then to them as they first heard it and read it. So that involves a lot of the who, what, where, when, and why kind of questions. And, and we're going to show you how to do some of that as we go through. Secondly, you're going to define some of the key words. This is harder in some passages than others, but you're going to define some of the key words. Because locked inside the meaning of a passage is the meaning of the words that's being used, right? And, and some of those words we're just not very familiar with. I mean, outside of church, when was the last time you heard the word propitiation, right? You know, I mean, so... When we come across that in the scripture, it says, "Well, what does that mean?" You know, and and er, you know, or even things like sanctification and that kind. Of, you know, we, so we need we need to figure out what these words mean, and and it's really important that we know what the words mean. You know, one of the one of the biggest challenges with communication is the assumption that it's actually taking place, and there are lots of words that carry multiple meanings, don't they? You know, let's take the word batter, right? This is baseball season, right? So we can think of a batter. This is the hitter that stands in the batter's box and takes a swing and tries to hit the ball. It could also be pancake batter or cake batter, you know? Or take the word pin. It could refer to a golf pin. You know, pull the pin so I can, I can putt. Or it could refer to a bowling pin. Or it could refer to pinning your graduation cap onto your head so it doesn't fall off when you're you know, doing your thing. I mean, it has lots of different meanings. And sometimes miscommunication can create some real difficulties. My experience, uh, I'm just going to share a story with you. Christina and I, we, I finished college, and she decided to transfer to the school she was going to, so we, we both moved to Texas at the exact same time. She was going to the University of North Texas in, in Denton, and I was attending seminary in, in Fort Worth. And, and we, had, we, were, we were serious, so we'd moved to the same part of the country on purpose. And we decided after the first year, even though she had a year and a half of school left to go, we decided we wanted to get married. So we placed this call home to her family, to her parents. My mother-in-law is sitting in the audience today, so I'm telling the story with a great deal of clarity. You know? So we call up, and she, Christina talks to her parents, and then I get on the phone. This is back before, you know, conference calls off your cell phone or whatever. We're standing literally using a pay phone in her, in her dormitory hallway. You know, and, and I say, well, you know, we really would love to have your support. You know, and, and um, their reaction after that, they're, they're delightful Christian people, but it was somewhat muted for a few weeks. And um, part of that was, I had used that term to say, we really wanted their blessing. Their emotional support. They kind of understood that to mean that I was hoping for their financial support as we started this new household. And, um, and their conviction, a lot like mine, especially now that my kids are ready to kind of move out, is that when you move out, you're, you're on your own two feet. You know, you pay your own bills. You get married, you pay your own, own bills. So I used the word support one way. They understood it a different way. And until we corrected the miscommunication, things were a little different, you know. 
communicate. We need to know what the key words mean. So we need to know what it meant then. We know we need to know what the, the key words are. We also need to, and we're just identifying the principles and then we're going to apply them, okay? We need to take what's unclear, what's harder to figure out, and understand it in light of what is clear. You know, Peter, Peter says in his writings, he says, you know what? Some of those writings of Paul, they're pretty hard, you know? I mean, Peter was an apostle and he's reading Paul's stuff and he's saying, some of that stuff is pretty hard. They're difficult. Well, one of the things we need to do is to use the clear text to figure out what the unclear ones and what the difficult ones mean. Lastly, we need to look for the plain or just the, the obvious meaning. You know, sometimes in, in the effort to really do deep Bible study, you know, we're looking for stuff that nobody's ever seen before. And, and let me clue you into something. For 2,000 years, people with a gift of the Holy Spirit have been studying this book. The chances of you seeing a meaning that nobody else has ever seen before is zilch. So if you come up with a meaning that nobody's ever got before, it's probably heretical, all right? I mean, that's where cults come from, right? They read a verse like, oh, this preposition's meaning missing. So Jesus isn't the God, Jesus is a God. And we have a whole new faith because we saw a meaning some 17, 1800 years after it was written. You know, it, 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 and if we're, if we're having to apply elaborate, you know, formulas to the scripture to figure things out, what, right? I mean, just all the detail and prophecy, we had, right? We had a, a teacher in America saying, this is the day that Jesus is going to return. They came and went. Now, Jesus said, you know, you're not going to know the hour or the day, but they could figure out when he was coming. I mean, it seems to me that the clear kind of explains the unclear. You know, and people have done elaborate things with the scriptures. You know, they've uh, assigned a certain number value to every single letter, you know, in the Bible. You know, and, and then they apply these elaborate things. And, you know, I remember one time back when I, when I was in high school, college days, that the whole thing was that Henry Kissinger was the Antichrist. When you added up the letters, you know, of his names, you know, it came up with it. it, it just this wild stuff. Look for the plain and obvious stuff. Just the plain and obvious stuff. So again, proceeding with the assumption that you guys care enough to be able to figure out for yourself what the Bible means, let's take these four principles of interpretation, let's apply them to John chapter 15. John 15 verses 1 through 17. I want to run through, I want to read the passage and you know, I just kind of want to identify the, the problem passage, if you will, for us and then kind of proceed from there. Now Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the vineyard keeper. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father's loved me, I've also loved you. Remain. In my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. I've spoken these things to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this that someone would lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. 
do not call you slaves anymore because a slave doesn't know what his master is doing. I've called you friends because I've made known to you everything I've heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, He will give you. This is what I command you. Love one another. Now, we can't cover everything in this text, okay? I mean, we could take the rest of the summer, just these 17 verses. And maybe that's not a bad idea, but that's not, my, that's not what I feel led to do this morning. That's not what we're talking about. So we're going to have to narrow our focus a little bit. So let me narrow it in on the difficult verse or verses in this passage. It, it's hinted at in verse 2. It says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Well, what does that mean? Verse 6. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, they throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, perhaps some of you have heard someone teach from this passage. Maybe you've listened, been listening to the radio while you're driving to work or whatever, and you've heard somebody come to this text and say, okay, well, let's process this. Jesus has sent us out to produce fruit, fruit that remains. Well, what kind of a fruit does a Christian produce? Well, an apple tree produces apples. A peach tree produces peaches. A pear tree produces pears. Grapefruit tree produces grapefruit. And a Christian produces Christians. And that's the fruit that remains. So, so backing up now to verse 2 and to verse 6, that if we're Christians and we don't produce other Christians, we don't lead other people to Christ, we don't have to produce some fruit. So God's going to come in, chop us out of the vine, throw us into the fire. Well, the fire always stands for hell. So if we don't lead other people to Christ, God's going to send us to hell. You think that's what it means? Well, let's see. Let's take our principles and let's see. First of all, let's start with context, the historical setting. What did it mean to them then? And, and this is where you need to recognize that chapters 13 through chapter 17 is one long conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Last night of his life, chapter 13 starts out by telling us that Jesus knows that, that his time's come. He knows who he is. He knows he's the son of God. He knows he's come to provide his life as a ransom for the world. He's ready for the cross. He's got a few hours left to prep his disciples for something that they're not ready for yet. And so he enters into a conversation with them. Conversation goes on for four chapters. Starts in the upper room. Continues on their journey out of the upper room to the Garden of Gethsemane. And then finally in chapter 17, we believe Jesus prays this prayer while he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. So it's one conversation spread out of a whole night, several different locations. Last night of Jesus' life. First the 12, then the 11. He's trying to prep them for what's coming. He wants them to be ready for what's coming tomorrow. Starts out. He's in the upper room with them. They're there to get to do the Passover meal. And and he's and this is in chapter thirteen. You know, and he's he's um he, he knows who he is, and with that, Jesus gets up from the table, takes off his dress clothes, puts on his work clothes, grabs a bowl of water, grabs a towel, and he begins to wash their feet. Now we've studied this passage before, we know that that is a role that no Jewish male would do. It was something that everybody had to do. They traveled the roads in sandals, they were all you know, they didn't have pavement back then, so it was all dusty. They arrived, their, their feet were filthy. They always made either the Gentile servants or the women do it. But never, Jewish, Jewish men just never washed one another's feet. Jesus climbs down from the table and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. Some of you are familiar with the story. He gets to Peter. Peter says, uh-uh, you're not washing my feet, Lord. He says, no, Lord. You know, isn't it interesting you put those two words together in the same sentence? No, Lord, right? You know, you know, and, and, and anyways, you know, and then, and then when Jesus said, well, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of me. And Peter said, well, I'm ready for the whole bath. Let me strip down here, you know. He's ready, to, you know, he went all in. 
But Jesus wraps up, he sits down, he says, listen, so what just happened here? Just what happened? Just what happened? I'm your master. And I, I claim that title because it's right. It's true. I'm your master. I'm your teacher. Look at the example that I just did for you. And guess what? I want you to treat one another the same way. The, the moments are coming when you are going to have to go to extraordinary lengths and depths to serve one another to get through the times. Think about the example I've just given you. Then he moves to chapter 14. If chapter 14 has a theme is don't worry, be happy, okay? First of all, beginning of chapter 14, don't worry, be happy, because I'm going to heaven to get it ready for you. I'm turning down the sheets, I'm putting out the mint, I'm getting your rooms ready in the Father's house. That's the beginning of chapter 14. Then he picks up a little bit later in verse 12. He says, essentially again, don't worry, be happy, because you know what? You can always talk to me. You can always pray. And guess what? When you pray... I'm going to answer. Whatever you ask in my name, it's going to be given to you. So don't worry. Be happy. And he continues. He picks up in verse 15 through 25. Don't worry. Be happy because I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And he's going to do things in you that you never, ever imagined. He's going to do things through you that you never, ever imagined. So don't worry. Be happy. And lastly, don't worry. Be happy because I'm giving you my peace. Not as the world gives peace, but the way that I can give peace. I'm giving you my peace. So what's he doing in chapters 13 and 14? He's encouraging them. He's building them up. He's trying to get them ready. He's trying to get them ready to sustain all of the gale war force winds that are going to come into their lives. The, you know, the, the hurricane force tides that are going to surge against their life. He's trying to get them ready for all of that. And then do you think he gets to chapter 15? You know, they get up at the end of chapter 14 and they start the journey out to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're making their way down from Jerusalem, which is on a hill, which I'm actually, we're leaving for Israel tomorrow morning. So I'm actually going to get to see how, how Jerusalem's up on a hill and it goes down. Maybe we'll get to walk this path. I don't know. So he comes down and he's heading for the Garden of Gethsemane and they pass a vineyard. And he says to them, now you see that vineyard? If you're like any of them branches, you know producing that fruit, off to hell with you. <laughs> Does it seem really consistent with what he's doing that night? I mean, does it? It doesn't, does it? So when you put it in context, you're saying, that can't be right. Because this is all about preparing them for the mission that God has for them. He's not trying to scare them, to threaten them, but he's trying to build them up. You know, in verse 3 of this text, he says, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Again, he's trying to build them up. So, So what does it really mean? When he talks about this. So we've looked at context and we said, you know, that, that understanding can't be right. So let's look at some of the key words. And, and here, there are a number of key words, but two words jump out. The word love and the word fruit. Those two words are each used nine times in these 17 verses. So again, there's a lot of great stuff in here. The idea of remaining and etc. But these two dominant ideas of love and fruit are out front. Now, I'm going to commit a little sin here, and we're just going to take the idea of love and set it aside and assume that you guys get that already, all right? That you know what it means to love God. So let's ask this question about fruit. It says, every branch of me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Well, what's this fruit? It says, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. Why? Because they're not producing any fruit. Well, what is this fruit? Well, the word fruit is used 44 times in the New Testament. If you had a good concordance or if you're using a a program online, you just type in the word fruit, you give it the parameters of the New Testament, it's going to come up 44 times. It's used in lots of different ways. Jesus talks about fruit in the sense of the fruit of the vine, and he's really actually talking about the wine that comes from the fruit of the vine. Other times he's talking about the fruit of repentance, which is the kind of the lifestyle adjustment that comes when we turn our lives back to God. Paul talks about the fruit of death. That's, the, that's what we reap when we live a sinful lifestyle. There are places where he's 
thanking a church for the fruit that they have sent him. And he's really talking about an offering, a monetary offering that they had collected and they sent to him to support him in his ministry. So he's talking about receiving money from them as, as an offering. Galatians obviously talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Against these things there are no law. Other places, Paul talks about the fruit of life. That's the Christ-likeness that emerges within us. This, the truth, the righteousness, the goodness. And so you got in Colossians 1, he's talking about the fact that the, the gospel bears fruit. And he's really referring to new believers. The people who come to faith as a result of the gospel. Hebrews, it talks about the fruits of our lips, which is really talking about our praise, the adoration that we give to God. So you got this huge kind of thing out there about what fruit is. So we're still really kind of struggling with what does fruit mean here? What kind of fruit is it that we're supposed to produce in our lives? And so then you move on to the third principle. We've gone from context, which is encouragement, building them up, preparation. Now we've looked at the key words, very quickly I might add. And now we have to sort of, well, well what's clear about this fruit? We, we don't know what fruit's being produced, but what do we know clearly from this passage about fruit? And again, I'm moving very fast, but there is a wonderful piece of fruit at the end of this, so kind of hang on there with me you know, as we go through this. Verse 4, it says, Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. So one of the things we learn about this fruit is that it cannot be produced unless we remain in Christ. So this fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. That we know for certain about this fruit. Secondly, verse 8, My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit. So we know that this fruit produces glory for God. That we know for certain about this fruit. Lastly, verse 11, kind of can bring it all together. He said, the whole reason I'm teaching you this stuff is so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. So being a fruit bearer completes our joy. If you and I really want to be joyful, we need to be producing fruit as he's talking about it in this passage of Scripture. So that we know for, for certain. It, it still kind of leaves us asking, well, what is this fruit then? You know, I know it comes from remaining in Christ. I, I know it's going to bring God glory. I know it's going to make me more joyful, which I'm in favor of. You know, you know so, so what is So Let's try to get it kind of going back to our question of what does the Bible say and trying to put it in context. What's the obvious meaning, the plain meaning? How, how can we get at this? And, and all of these things have already been spoken about in this teaching of Jesus in chapters 13 through 17. This idea of remaining in Christ has already been spoken of. We see it in verse 7. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. So now we know that remaining in Christ, which produces fruit, remaining in Christ also produces answered prayer. So we get that piece of it. Again, we're going back to just observing. You know, trying to understand the plain meaning. Backing up a little bit. Chapter 14, verse 13. Just, just a little earlier in the evening, Jesus is saying to this, you know, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so the Father may be glorified in the Son. So we, the second point is, you know, this production of fruit glorifies God. Well, what else glorifies God? You look at this, answered prayer. Doing what we ask God to do glorifies the Father. So answered prayer glorifies God. We got this last concept of complete joy. Go to chapter 16. We haven't even got there yet. Again, it takes a little bit of work. I think all of us are wise enough to know we need to be able to do these kinds of things to really get the most out of the Scriptures. He says, Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Chapter 16, verse 24. Ask, 
and you will receive that your joy may be complete. When you and I ask God and He answers our prayer, it completes our joy. Bearing fruit completes our joy. Answered prayer completes our joy. Again, moving very fast, way too fast. Chapter 15, verse 16. We saw this just a minute ago. It says, I didn't choose you. I chose you. You did not choose me. I chose you. I appointed you that you should go out and produce fruit and that your fruits should remain. So whatever you ask in my name, he will give you. He's connecting the fruit and prayer. Let me suggest to you, as we look at the plain and obvious from this text, and we've had to work at it, is that the fruit that Jesus is talking about is the stuff that happens in our lives and in the world when God answers our prayer. That's what the fruit is. The fruit is what God does when we pray. That's what you and I are designed for. Do you know that prayer can accomplish everything that God can accomplish? Because God answers prayer. Sometimes, oh God, you know, I asked God, but I didn't get that. Well, we get something better. We may not see it, but we get something better. God always answers our prayer. And what he's talking about here is that God has designed it to complete our joy by answering our prayers. And those prayers are the thing, the answer to those prayers is what God does in us and what God does in the world. And those things remain forever. So we've kind of figured out the meaning. That the fruit here is what happens when we pray and God answers our prayer. So now the application. Makes prayer pretty important, doesn't it? Why is it that for most of us, prayer is like a spare tire? We only reach for it in an emergency. A couple of years ago, we, we had just gotten our, we had our Jeep for about a year and a half, and we were going to New Hampshire on Thanksgiving afternoon or, or the day after Thanksgiving. We blew out a tire. And I knew where the spare tire was. It was up underneath the Jeep. I didn't know how to get it down. We get the manual out. We're looking at it. You know, how do you lower this thing down? Where's the nut? There's got to be something that lowers this down. It took us like a half an hour to figure it out. Sometimes that's the way it is with us with prayer, right? When we really need it, it takes us a long time to figure out how to use it. The wonderful gem for us from the Scripture today is that God completes our joy by answering our prayer. You want that kind of joy? Well, take an action item. What, what prayer are you going to pray this week that you want God to answer? And that's not a rhetorical question. You all have sermon guides or something you can write on or write it in the palm of your hand, but what, what prayer are you going to pray this week that God can answer? And write it down right now. That's kind of like a command. No, no Lord, you, know, you can't say no pastor right now. So everybody should be reaching for a pen. No, that's right. Just, but think about the truth that we've learned, that we bring glory to God by allowing Him to answer our prayers. What prayer are you going to pray this week? Let's pray together. God, thanks for teaching us from your word. For many of us, this is a, just a whole new journey. It's a, it's a whole new set of skills. But God, I, I, I celebrate today that the impact, that learning how to study your word and figuring out what it means, we celebrate the impact that that can have in our lives. God, I would pray collectively for all of us today. Teach us how to use your word in our lives, that it can produce fruit, fruit that will last. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.